That smooth Christian jazz you're hearing means you've tuned in to Same Old Song, the lectionary podcast of Mockingbird Ministries. I'm your co-host, Aaron Zimmerman. I'll be joined by Jacob Smith as each week we break down the lectionary readings for the upcoming Sunday to give you something to think about, and if you're a preacher, to give you something to preach about, and no matter who you are, to give you a connection to the never-changing message of God's grace for actual people like you. Unzip that monogrammed faux leather Bible carrying case and cover, pull up a chair, and let's dig in. Well, Jake, here we are. I gotta say, you are a better Protestant than me, wearing your no collar today. Uh, our listeners should know that Jacob looks great in his Harry Carey glasses and his pinstripe suit. Um, I'm over here in a clerical collar, but I will say my Protestant leanings are showing in that I'm not wearing a black clergy shirt. It's mm. a blue clergy shirt. So, so for take that, Anglo-Catholic listeners. For those of you who are uh, interested, this is um, this is uh, episode 218, which is going to revolve all around clergy fashion. And clerical so- haberdashery. New podcast launches in February. Uh, that actually would be great. <laughs> Um, I could already think of who would want as guests on that podcast. I know. Bertie Pearson like, calling we, you. Mm, I could promote all the, the like, you know, uh, um, CM Almy's latest chasuble, you know, line. Mm, yeah. We would whole sorts of merchandising tie-ins. We could, we could do promotions, uh, all kinds of clickbait possible actually, on the social media. Actually, it's ironic. Today I did get the latest Whipple catalog, and I thought to myself... That's some fine craftsmanship right there. You're like, why do you keep sending the same catalog since you haven't changed the pictures in 35 years? That's <laughs> so funny. Because clerical so. fashions don't change. We have uh, our annual meeting coming up next week, mm. and our annual report uh, went to press yesterday, and it includes an uh, artificial intelligence-generated picture of it. They fed it a picture of me, and they said, uh, make a, an Episcopal rector in um, Renaissance garb. So it looks, it's sort of interesting. It looks like a very much, like a like me with an extremely chiseled jaw. I don't know why. Like, I look like... Mm. I don't Captain know why America you're feeding clerical. the beast. So... Because um, <laughs> uh, AI, yeah. it's coming. It's going to be, once this podcast is gone, people are going to be I'm just getting saying, it to generate their sermons. Have you not read the book of Revelation? So anyway... Generate, generate a sermon like Jacob Smith on the texts for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany. That's all you have to say, and the computer mm. will be like, here it is. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> clergy clergy, and truckers, we're all going to be out of jobs. So That's right. That's right. The, wave, the future's coming. Well, uh, we should get onto these readings yeah. for the fourth Sunday after the ep- ep- Epiphany. Because uh, no one can replace us. So anyway. That's right. We're we're un irreplaceable, unbreakable, uh, unshakable. All right. So Micah six one through eight. This is the passage where everybody has heard the last verse, but mm. nobody's heard the ones that come before it. Uh, mm. And then we also then move on to First Corinthians chapter one, which we've been in in this season, and we'll continue in the first letter of Paul to the church in Corinth, and then Matthew chapter five. Uh, Matthew being the gospel that will be in mostly for year A, and this is the, um, uh, Jesus is launching out his ministry. He begins with this thing that we now call 
the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. So let's begin with Micah 6, 1 through 8. Jake, mm. we got mm. this passage ending with, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. What more do you need to know? Why do we even have the first seven verses of this passage? What would you want to say about this? Well, I think that this is a, um, a very... Uh, this is a text, if you're going to really preach on it, you have to, once again, like uh, give some setting in what's happening. And so in this uh, particular uh, prophet, it took place around the same time as Isaiah. And um, this is what life was like under Assyria and um, under King uh, Hezekiah, who uh, tried to lead a rebellion against Assyria. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Tiglath-Pileser did not uh, decimate uh, King Hezekiah, but instead um, basically put his, uh, his literal uh, foot on Hezekiah's throat and uh, further bankrupt the nations. And, uh, and, you know, and they're just in this moment of like, where are you, God? What's going on? And uh, this is, um, this is not necessarily, so what happens is that everybody takes this passage out of context, you know, um, you know, and so it's all what? about, you know. I'm shocked. Yeah, do justice. So this is now what you're going to do. You know, you're going to do justice, you're going to love kindness, and you're going to walk humbly uh, with your God. And um, notice that's not a statement, it's a question. Um, and... Uh, and this is, uh, so the, the the real way you preach this text is you got us, like when things are falling apart, when things aren't going your way, um, and people are asking uh, the question, where is God in all of this? Uh, well, um, as, as, as Israel does right here, as God reminds them, he has them look back to when God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt and when God did all of these amazing things for the people of Israel. And uh, as a Christian, uh, you know, in the midst of when we're asking, where is God in all of this? Um, this is a reminder that um, we uh, look to the one who's actually uh, done justice perfectly. He's loved kindness perfectly, and he's walked humbly uh, with uh, God all the way to the cross for you. You know, when you read the prophets, they always have these long kind of um, these these calls for Israel and what Israel is to do, how Israel is to solve the problem a little bit. And it always gets boiled down. And here in Micah, it's being boiled down all the way down to where it's boiled down 100% proof in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verses 4, where it says, the just shall live by faith. And, uh, and so the way we preach this passage is, is that in the midst of, this isn't something for you to do finally, but um, it is, where is God in all of this? Well, uh, I look back. I look back to the cross where God has delivered me. And, um, and I uh, will place my faith in that work, come what may, and trust that God will have mercy on me and he will deliver me from such a peril as this. That's how I would preach this passage. Yeah, I think you do have to make it uh, Christological and uh, make it moving towards Christ because if you just take this passage, um, again, out of context and without really doing anything um, to address the context and even not only its context in Micah, but its context in the whole of Scripture, mm -hmm. including the New Testament, um, you end up with um, a really impossible task because it begins by you know, dealing with the fact that the people of Israel have sinned, and um, like all the prophets, it's sort of this call for people to come back 
yeah. to God. It's it's a conversation between God and his people, and it, and it even calls it, the Lord has a controversy with his people at the beginning. Like, we're going to argue this out. We're going to hash this out. I will contend with you. Um, you have turned against me. I've not turned against you. Like, why have you turned against me, says God. Remember how I've always taken care of you, says God. And the people are like, oh, I guess we need to make it up to you and come back. And so it's this question, What should, how should we make it up? You know, do I need to bring a bouquet of red roses and a heart-shaped box of chocolates? Uh, do I need to take you out for a steak dinner? How do we make up? And uh, the person in this text is realizing that all the sort of traditional religious offerings would not be sufficient, even if it were a thousand rams and ten thousand rivers of oil. Um, it's it's too much. And so the passage ends with, well. All you have to do is be perfect on the inside, do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Um, in a sense, it makes it harder than doing all those sacrificial acts because it's this internal state of how you um, how you need to need to be as a person who loves God fully, completely, perfectly, which is you know getting down to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. That's what that whole passage is about, and the result of any sort of call to not only external but internal perfection is never like, yes, we can, but I need a savior. And so, as you say, Jake, really making it about that one who does walk humbly all the way to the cross is really what this passage points towards. If, you know, from a, from a New Testament perspective, um, that kind of hermeneutic. So, we move on to first. Well, I just, Corinthians. I, I do want to yeah, say no. one, so, I mean, you know, it really is, I mean, the just, this, this is understood in this lens by the just shall live by faith. And uh, you see, without, without faith, and this is Israel's problem, this is the whole world's problem, without faith, uh, what happens is, and when this passage is preached, especially the end, where it becomes, I'm just going to say it, poisonous, when, but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God, uh, where this becomes poisonous and nothing but insipid piety is when it is detached from the faith that's in the cross of Christ. Uh, because with the loss of faith, and what happens is that this leads to a misuse and distortion of human power through pride and spiritual pretension. And, um, and you know, and all of a sudden, I'm the one who's doing it and you're not. You know, and this uh, this particular passage, which is so beautiful, drawing Israel back to God becomes a long pointing finger wag about how, you know, you really better get it together. And so um, this passage needs to be preached um, with the understanding uh, that um, ultimately this finds itself in a place of faith, which leads us to repentance and total reliance upon God's grace for absolutely, totally everything. And uh, and that, I mean, you can actually touch on that and then uh, use that as a bridge to make your way into 1 Corinthians, our text today, where uh, the message of the cross is foolishness uh, to those who are perishing. Uh, but to those who are being saved, it's the power of God, you know? Yeah. And can I just say the do justice, love kindness, walk humbly with your God, even if you do have that tattooed on you, uh, person who's listening to this, um, Micah, Micah six, eight is on your uh, forearm. You, uh, bearded barber with the very short hair on the side of your head, but long on the top. Um, I, um, the thing about this is that nobody really does it. Uh, do you know somebody? 
No, I'm not thinking. I just this is. I live in a town with a lot of Christian hipsters, and so there's a lot of scripture verses tattooed on people's arms. Uh, so I'm cool. not thinking of anybody in particular. But I feel like this is a verse I see everywhere, and yeah. it's like nobody actually does this. This is this is so vague enough that people just love it because who wouldn't be, like the idea of justice, kindness, and walking humbly with God? But then go to the homeowners association meeting and see how people treat each other when the rubber meets the road, mm, or when you're in a on. bad mood, or whatever. It's just uh, it it falls flat. So yeah. it it really needs to be about. I mean, all those things are good, and I want people to do all those things. But just uh, if you if you stop there without taking it to the cross, you do a disservice. So, First Corinthians, as, as it does, it takes us to the cross. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is foolishness to those who are relying on their own strength, which is why they are perishing. Mm. Um, but if you are somebody who is aware of your weakness, who's aware of your... Um, uh, your brokenness, who's aware of your hypocrisy and your weakness and all that sort of stuff, if you actually realize that you need a savior, the cross is this great, great message. Um, the wise people of the world that look like they have it together, that are relying on themselves, they don't look like they are perishing, but they are because ultimately they're trusting in things that, that won't last. This passage is so rich. There's so much there. In some respects, it can be hard to preach because there is some contextual stuff that you may mm -hmm. have to explain, like what does Paul mean when he's talking about Jews and Greeks? Um, what is this? What you know? He's he's definitely living in a in a universe that is a little removed from ours. So, um, but if you were gonna preach this, Jake, how would you make it come alive for people, or what would you want to emphasize? Well, I would want to emphasize this very uh, this very thing that it is. Um, the message of the cross. So, um, you know, uh, get rid of the ladder, you know, the spiritual ladder of trying to climb up it or the inability to climb up it at all. Um, get rid of that ladder and focus on the word, you know, focus on the message of the cross. And so what does the cross say about us? Uh, what does the cross say about God? And what does the cross, as Paul is saying here, um, what does it create within us? Um, and um, and uh, so what I would want to say is, what does the cross um, say about us? Well, the way that the Greeks and the Jews responded was, is it was just completely, this is foolishness. You know what I mean? What do you, uh, we want to see a sign. And Jesus is like, I've given you, it's a foolish and wicked generation that asks for signs. You know, Gentiles want, uh, want wisdom. You know, we want, I mean, are, are you kidding me? A, a rabbi from Nazareth who was crucified is the, um, is the salvation of the world. Uh, what it says for us, is that we are not interested in um, in in, to in dependence upon God. We're not interested in His mercy on His own. Um, but um, what it says about God is that God. I mean, boy, He demonstrates this strength, this strength that has the power to save us from the grips of death itself, um, uh, in this like insane, foolish act. And so, what does it give us? Well, as he says down below, it gives us, he's the source of our life. He becomes our wisdom. He becomes our righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order that it may be written. And this is what faith is all about, ultimately. Uh, this is what God creates in us, to believe in him despite all evidence to the contrary. Not about finally being able to climb the ladder or not, but... Uh, 
let the one who boasts boasts in the Lord. And uh, that is the cry of the, of the Christian. Uh, that's the cry of the new Adam who has been baptized and rests in his justification. Take me to church, Jake. Thank you. Uh, I love it when you get kind of, I can tell when you sort of get on a roll and you're like mm. filled, filled with the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. <laughs> Thank uh, you. You should be a fire extinguisher on your desk mm. just in case. Yeah. Uh, the, um, yeah, I, if I were um, preaching this passage, an avenue I might take would be to ask the congregation to think about if they were in a position where they were choosing people, whether in a hiring process, you're choosing people for a job. Maybe are you a beauty pageant judge and you're choosing people <laughs> to win the pageant? Whatever these human situations, or you think about like a, if you're in high school, a homecoming king and queen, or if you're a, just a person looking for a spouse, you, you sort of think about yourself choosing, you know, maybe you're dating a number of people and you're trying to choose, which is going to be, whatever. All these things where we're evaluating other people and choosing, we always choose the best. Mm-hmm. We do not just with people, we do it with things too. Like if you're in a house hunt, you want to pick the best for the, you know, whatever. Or um, you go to the melon stand at the little bodega, you got to pick out the best melon. We always are looking for the best. In every situation where there are an array of choices in front of us, we always want to make the best choice. And God looks at the human race spread out before him. And it's like, hmm, this one's a little bruised. I'll take that one. Oh, look at this one. It's missing pieces. I'll take that. Oh, this one, not too bright. Didn't finish high school. I'll choose that one. Like, it's the opposite of Goldman Sachs recruiting process. It's the opposite of the college admissions process. It's the opposite of anything where people are choosing uh, other people. And this is where it says, God chose what is foolish in the world to to shame the wise. And the reason, to me, I think this is so powerful is because I... I, I'm a fool. Like, I, mm-hmm. I do get distracted by things that have no meaning. I do often believe the illusion that I have any control over anything. I do tend to think that things on the outside matter when they don't really matter at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. I am a foolish person, um, and I need a God who chooses me. Uh, not who chooses those who have things together. So, you know, mm. I, if you're preaching, I would ask your congregation to, to get in touch with the places where if anybody knew about this place in their life, they would not choose them. If <laughs> if you're George Santos, you don't want anybody to find out who you really are, because if they know, they'll reject you. But what this says um, is that when God finds out about those parts of your life, they don't push him away they're actually what makes him choose you because he wants to come to that uh, foolish place and make it wise. He wants to come to the sinful place and make it righteous. He wants to come to the broken place and to heal it because that's what he does. Um, He is the source of your life. You're not the source of your life. He is. He's the one that gives life, gives wisdom, gives righteousness, gives sanctification, gives redemption, all that stuff at the end. Um, Because if it's not from him, then you boast about it. But it it's the idea is that this would come from God. So that's Christianity. I hate it because I would much rather be in control and get all the credit myself. But um, turns out I'm not too good at that. So I'm I um I actually love Jesus and I'm glad He gives me these things as a mm. gift. Yeah, He always He goes for the kids who are the last on the kickball team. So that's right. <laughs> so, oh, uh-huh. 
We've all been those there. days. Yeah. Pick do me, do pick kids me. still have gym uniforms? Those are I the know. least flattering articles of clothing on the planet. Yeah, it was typically that like sweatpant gray. Yep. Um, yep. But uh, I remember dying because I was always like last picked. So anyway, yeah. I, was I mean, not I mean, this other kid picked, was. I can tell you that. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Jake and I both peaked in middle school. We were very mm, popular, had lots mm, of friends, and really mm-hmm. succeeded at everything. Absolutely, mm-hmm. man. Had that okay. awesome, had that awesome Axl Rose mullet. So anyway, um, you gotta send me a picture of that. I want to see it. Then we come to Matthew chapter five, verses one through twelve, uh, the start of what's called uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Yep, because he went up on the mountain mm-hmm. and he sat down, as a rabbi did, to teach his disciples. And then he began speaking in that English accent that we know Jesus has. Mm-hmm. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Have we shared uh, the life of Brian funny story yet on this podcast? I, uh, I don't think so. I don't think There's so. There's the ahead. one, you know, it's like the massive crowds are there listening to um, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. And everybody's like, shh, what's he saying? What's he saying? And he gets to, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be yeah. called children of God. But by the time it gets to the back of the crowd, they're like, what did he say? He says, I think he said, blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> <laughs> These people are in the back are like, I knew we were right. Yeah, that's right. It's all, it's, so, and that is German higher criticism. Mm-hmm. So, so, but uh, you uh, know, really, yeah. I mean, Aaron, what would you say to the phrase, um, "Let the B attitudes be our attitudes"? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's me. Do you remember that terrible postman? Uh, absolutely. God, yeah. it's 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 actually a miracle that I mean it's a testimony of the Holy Spirit and God's providence that Christianity has actually survived. I know we are always losing losing the thread and making it about behavior modification and not justification of sinners. But yeah, this so the Beatitudes, if there is somebody who maybe didn't is not familiar with that word, um, comes from the Latin translation of this text. Obviously, it was written in Greek, and we're reading the English translation, but in the Latin translation, which was the major Bible in the West for a thousand years, uh, when you said, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are those who mourn, and blessed are the meek, the first word there was not blessed, it was some sort of beatitudinous or something in Latin. I'm not a Latin scholar who speaks that. But that's, so these have become called the beatitudes. has nothing to do with the English word attitude, but... Many, uh, but that hasn't stopped Christian preachers before from taking an English word and turning it into some sort of clever trope in preaching. So, uh, yeah, be attitude. Let the beatitudes be your attitude. Nope, misses the point. Because yeah, there, there is not. A, just for the record, there is not a single if in any of these statements. Right, uh, and it, it is and, blessed are, not blessed yeah. are you if. Yeah, there's no conditionality. Um, and this is this passage is a, is Jesus planting all the seeds that then flower into and bear fruit into what Paul just said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 which would have been you know probably about 15 20 years after Jesus said these words but um, Jesus is saying that if you are any of these categories which the world would say you don't want to be in these categories <laughs> yeah. for the most part um, if you are in that category you have already been given this belovedness from God and some sort of healing and redemption and restoration. If not now, it will be the case. Yes. And so, it's him saying, 
the opposite of what do you think are true. It's, it, you know, most people, if you ask a wealthy person who's a faithful Christian person um, about their wealth, they will almost often say, well, we are so blessed. And I know what they mean, and in a sense that is true. But in the Christian understanding of things, sometimes material things are actually not a blessing, and yes. it's actually the place of having nothing, whether it's materially having nothing, or even in a psychological, psycho-spiritual way of having nothing, um, that is a place where then God begins to work, and it actually is a place of healing. And the only and that sounds crazy, and that sounds off base and weird. But we are people who believe that God saved the world when God died. Um, that and the day of God's death is called a called Good Friday. So um, it's the it's the idea that God can work in the dark and difficult places. Um, as Leonard Cohen says, it's in the cracks are where the light gets in, and that's sort of this idea. So you poor in spirit kingdom of heaven is yours. You mourning, you will be comforted. Are you meek, which is to say weak, powerless, and disenfranchised? You will be the ones that inherit the earth. So, do you hunger and thirst for righteousness, meaning you don't have it yet? You are currently not righteous. You will be filled. So, it's it's this uh, upside-down nature of the gospel that you talk about, Jake. Um, and uh, and it's don't turn this into a list of things for your people to do. Instead, make it a, a proclamation of if you are someone who is in need, in want, and lacking, um, that God can work in that and um, and save you. There's yeah. other stuff here too, peacemakers, we can talk about persecution and reviling and all that sort of stuff, but what else would you add to this, Jake? I mean, I, I think you've, I think you've uh, nailed it. You know, I mean, if you want, yeah, this isn't a list of things to do, and why it's important not to talk about that is because, you know, one of the themes in Matthew and I've been talking about this in my Bible study, is that uh, Jesus is the new everything. He's the new Israel. He's the new David. He's the new temple. And uh, in this moment, he has just called his disciple. He's come out of the wilderness, and he's called his disciples. If you remember last week, um, he's up in the land of uh, Naphtali and Zebulon. And, um, and here, he's coming up on the mountain, and who is he? Well, he is now, who is the last person up on the mountain and delivering some information? Uh, Moses. And so, but here Jesus is the new Moses, but he doesn't deliver the law, uh, which uh, condemns and, and uh, terrifies. He um, delivers blessing, and he delivers blessing because he is the kingdom of heaven, God's people in God's place under God's reign. And uh, where Jesus is, is the kingdom of heaven. And where the kingdom of heaven is, there is blessing. And, uh, and that, as you so rightly said, manifests itself in this age in foolishness and weakness. Because Jews yeah. demand a sign and Greeks demand wisdom. And this is an otherworldly wisdom that has come from above and has the power to change hearts and save lives. Yeah, and that, that demand for wisdom or demand for a sign, it's basically a human way of thinking of give me a lever of control to make both myself and God be what I want it to be. Yeah. Um, and instead the gospel says you are already loved and forgiven. You have no control, but the good news is God has rescued you and saved you. And I think, you know, that is good news. And I'm just, as we close this episode, I'm just thinking about a conversation. I've had several conversations recently about people who have had experiences in um, other church traditions and backgrounds. And they said that they always left church feeling worse than when they arrived. Um, 
And they said, gosh, the thing I love about St. Albans is that you always, uh, I feel better. I feel forgiven. I feel loved. And um, that's not because I tell them that there's nothing wrong with them or anybody. Goodness gracious, anybody with a five minutes of self-reflection realizes there's some things that are not quite right about themselves or other people. It, we're honest about that, and then we proclaim the grace of God in Christ. And that's the last thing they hear ringing in their ears. And you know what they don't do? They don't go out and rob banks and... Um, uh, um, you know, do all the things that some Christian, well, I don't know if any preacher is scared of people robbing banks, but you know, the, the fear of um, folks is that if you don't tell people what to do, they'll go out and they'll break all God's commandments. I have yet to see that happening. It, in fact, <laughs> they probably, they didn't do it because they hurt grace for me. They were probably already doing it at some level. All mm-hmm. I'm trying to say is, end your sermons with the grace of God as Jesus does. He said, you, you're, you're blessed. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, not you will be blessed if, which is not the gospel. So end with that and know that uh, Jesus is with those who are, as this passage says, poor in spirit. Amen. All right. Well, we'll see you again next week as we continue through this season of Epiphany. Uh, we're getting sort of uh, close to the end. We got two more Sundays in Epiphany. Well, actually, three more Sundays in Epiphany, and then it's uh, first Sunday in Lent uh, at the end of February. So, uh, start getting those palms ready to burn. Uh, Ooh, it's that's coming. That's exciting. It's coming. Lent is coming. All right. God All bless right. you, and we'll see you next week. Peace, everybody. Somebody's looking. Somebody cares. Somebody wonders what you're doing today. You know, we crucified him, buried him, but. Thanks for listening to Same Old Song. Hope you found some gospel nuggets for the pulpit or for your life. If you like what you heard, leave a review or rating in Apple Podcasts. Dave Zoll will be sad if you don't. Thanks to TJ Hester for audio production. And remember to keep that Bible by your bedside, ready to rock and roll.